so grateful that God loves me. And I want to ask you this afternoon, you know, is, you know, when we look at our personal relationship with God, half of the relationship is guaranteed. 100% that God loves us. Jesus going to the cross proves that. Jesus taking up his cross. In, in even the Bible says, Romans 5 verse 8, when we sinners he died for us he loves you no matter what your how weak or strong your love is for him he loves you that side of the deal is a hundred percent assured so what I want to challenge us is 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 to realize that just because he loves us there is no guarantee that you get a great relationship with God no guarantee whatsoever it depends on our relationship our response to his love that's how we can be sure of having a great friendship with him You can't just say, oh, God loves me. Isn't it wonderful? I know now I've got a great relationship. No, we have to love him. Um, So I want to challenge us, you know, about our love for God. Loved, yes, we're undoubtedly loved. But are we lovers of God? Are we lovers of God? In the good times, in the bad times, when God isn't doing exactly what we want him to do, are we still lovers of God? Sometimes, you know, the worst situations, the worst of situations can bring out the best in people. Love. But remember that, the worst of situations can bring out the best in people sometimes. Um, does my son... Benjamin, who's 23 years old and has given me permission to tell the story, does he love his mother? Monday last week, I'm setting off. Philippa, my wife, gave me a telephone call. She'd been to the gym, she'd finished school early, been to the gym, gone back home, and she says, Dave, can you call in at the gym in Salford? Uh, you know, and can you call in at the and pick up my glasses. I've forgotten my glasses. They're in the gym somewhere, quite sure. The speech read it at the time is no. <laughs> uh, the, the, I can't think, I'm just thinking to myself, saying this, um, I'm thinking, I can't think of anything worse that you could ask a man to do than go in a gym and everybody's working hard, pumping iron, sweating, Walking around, excuse me, I'm just looking for my wife's glasses. Couldn't think of anything worse. And I'm thinking, so I'm talking to her and put the phone down. And then I think, I know, I'm giving my 23-year-old son, Benjamin, a lift home tonight. Light bulb moment uh, comes in. And so as we're driving towards, we're, we're, we're coming down Littleton Road. As we're driving along the road, I suddenly say to Ben, I say, hey, Ben, there's a little job for you to do. Pull into the gym. I said, open the door, Jim. Ben, you need to go and you need to find your mum's glasses. I'm going to turn the car around while you do that. He looks at me and I was shocked. I was horrified. This was my son speaking. He opens his mouth. He's not even thinking it. He opens his mouth and he says to me, Dad, I can't think of anything worse that you... For my mum's glasses. Around to people and saying, Excuse me, I'm looking for my mum's glasses. I said, Ben, fucks me. I, you, if, 
I, I said, if that is the worst thing that can happen to you, all I can say to you is you must have a really nice life, Ben. He says. And I say to him, Ben, what's more? I want to challenge you. I said, do you really love your mother? <laughs> he said. Anyway, he gets out and mumbling and grumbling, goes off into the gym. I turn the car around, feeling quite smug. <laughs> I've got out of this. And he comes back with the glasses, not very happy because he's had to look around, found them on the stepping machine, back with the glasses. Now, I take that point and hand them to Philippa myself. I didn't. <laughs> I let him have the glory for that. Um, but the question, he, he I, I, in the end, well, he must even screamed about it. He must actually love And I want to ask us is how do what we think sometimes are the worst of situations, what do we do when we're in one of those situations? What does it do about our love for God? What about we're sure that he loves us, what do we do in the worst of situations for our love for him? Maybe in the bad times when things aren't going well smoothly in life, maybe, I want to put it to you, maybe it's in the bad times. The best of can come out. Love God in a difficult situation. It's easy when it's the best of times. I want to talk about a little bit about David in the Old Testament, about 3,000 years ago. He was experiencing what for him, I believe, he'd got behind, all, it was all behind him, um, you know, the adultery, the murder, the mistakes he'd made, and he'd been growing his relationship with God. And cut a long story short, you remember how the Ark of the Covenant, that box of acacia wood covered in gold, had represented for the Israelites the very presence of God. Two cherubim over it, the mercy seat, the golden slab on the cover of it. And it was put in the tabernacle of Moses. And once a year, one man from amongst the people could go into the very presence of God behind the curtain with sense burning, setting up a type of smoke screen, the blood of bulls, the blood of goats being offered, could go into the very presence of God. And there was all sorts of ritual that you can read about, especially in Leviticus 16, about how it happened, how it operated. Something happened with David. We talk about the key of David, about government, but, but David had been granted a key somehow, and there's a long story behind it, but to cut it short, David had brought this place, this this box that represented the very presence of God, he'd brought it and put it in his own tabernacle, in his own tent, where there was no curtain. It was just there, the presence of God. He'd been granted access to have a foretaste of what we could all experience once Jesus cried, it is finished, and the curtain in the temple was ripped into and the presence of God was available. But here it was, ahead of time, the presence of God available because people were allowed to come into the tabernacle of David and they were allowed to worship, allowed to experience the presence of God without one high priest, without just spectating and watching the one man do it. And in those days, if you'd have gone to the tabernacle of David um, and they'd given you a visitor's card, what area? 
church, everybody involved, everybody was a participator in loving God, in worshipping God. A list up here in David's best of times. These are, the, these are the ministries. These are the area of service that you could be involved in. So if we can look at the next slide, that would be great. And here it comes. I feel it's coming. Yeah, here we go. See, look, 1 Chronicles 16 and 16 and parts of the psalm work out is to do with the tabernacle. These are the things that you could be doing. Singers and singing, musicians and instruments, writing, thanking the Lord, of praise, ministry of psalms, ministry of rejoicing and joy, clapping hands, shouting, what were we doing today? <laughs> Dancing, lifting up hands, saying amen. A ministry, what's your ministry? You know, this was just some of them, but these were things, everybody involved, everybody participated, no spectating here, you had no David, suddenly it's open access to the presence of God. Trumpets blowing, dancers dancing, choirs singing, uh, righteous peace and joy. It was the best of times for David. And David loved, you can read Psalms about how much he loved to be in the presence of God. Oh, it was wonderful. He loved God. He was a friend of God. He knew God loved him and he loved God. And it was just wonderful. Just, just being in there, being a worshipper, coming into the presence of God and drawing near to God. He didn't miss out. He didn't stop at home. He was there 24-7. There were people there. But David set up just to be worshipping God and he loved it. He loved it. This was the best of times for David. While all this was happening, something was rumbling on over a period of a few years. David's own son, Absalom turned against him. Just think about that for a minute. His own son turned against him. And eventually in Hebron, David was in Jerusalem. The Ark of the Covenant was in Jerusalem. But, but there David's son in Hebron, just 17 miles away, turned against him, staged a coup. If someone staged a coup, that the present king had to run for their life because they knew what would happen. They'd be killed. Uh, and so David found himself you know, in a really bad situation. Uh, Benjamin would say, I can't think of anything else, anything worse that could happen. Well, for David, it was bad. Your own son turns against you. But there was something worse for David because Zadok, the priest, brought the Ark of the Covenant, as David was getting ready to flee Jerusalem because Absalom had declared himself king 17 miles away. David's getting ready with some of his men to flee from Jerusalem. And Zadok the priest comes to the outskirts of Jerusalem carrying the Ark of the Covenant. And he says to David, come on, we'll take the Ark of the Covenant with us. And David looks at it. He knows he's got to flee into the wilderness. He knows he's got to run fast and run hard to flee from his own son Absalom. This is the Ark of the Covenant. This is what he's been loved doing for years, his love being in the presence of God. This symbolized for him those times of singers singing, choirs singing, dancing, trumpets blowing, waving of hands, clapping, shouting, amening. And, and suddenly David feels, I, I've got to be careful here. I've got to leave this that symbolized the presence because I've got to run fast and hard. And he says to Zadok the priest, he says, carry the ark of God back 
into the city. I can't go with this. And so what was the best of times, what symbolized for David the best of times goes one way. And David sees the ark going back to that tent he's placed in Jerusalem. And David goes out into a wilderness, out into the desert, the heat, the the dust. He goes out into the wilderness and leaves what symbolized for him those best of times. And there's family of the worst possible kind. There's leaving the meeting place behind where you've enjoyed such so you know drumming dancers down. you've leaving all that behind and now you're going into the wilderness can it get any worse yes it can because as David flees into the desert so this man one of Saul's old relatives the former king runs alongside David on an adjacent hill a man called Shimei, and Shimei sees David going along Shimei decides he's going to persecute David and he starts throwing stones at him. He starts throwing dust at him and he starts shouting at him repeatedly, you worthless man, you worthless man. Stones hitting him, dust coming at him. You worthless, you worthless man. He's leaving the past behind. He's leaving that presence of, of God, those wonderful atmospheres. Here's this man throwing stones at him. One of David's men says, let me go and kill him. And he could have done. But you understand, David, who'd had the foretaste of new covenant presence of God, blessings, he'd also foretasted something of the teaching of the new covenant that you don't just automatically go and kill your enemies. And he says, no, spare him. And there's something of a love for God, and not only for God, but even for his enemies, that David doesn't have Shimei put carry on throwing stones. He lets the dust still keep on coming at him. Just imagine being in that situation. It's the worst of times for David. What would you do at the end of a day like that? What would you do? Cry? Panic? Throw the towel in? Complain to God? Listen, if we're honest, we've all been there on those days and no room could possibly condemn anyone who said that would be my reaction. Because we've all been like that. David himself had been in situations before where he did all of those things. Cried, panicked, threw the towel in, complained to God. But David, what do we notice here? David, perhaps hiding in a cave, perhaps you know, just, just getting out of the, the heat of the, the sun. David, at the end of that day, David, because he'd not only grown and matured in his appreciation of God's love for him, David had also grown and matured in, in, in his appreciation of God. And David had become a deeper, maturer lover of God who wasn't dependent on circumstances to express his love. And we know what David did at the end of that day. Um, he sat down in a cave probably and wrote a song and wrote a psalm which we can read now. And we're going to read it together now, Psalm 63. And what I want to do is, you know, something, is, is, I want us to stand, if we can, almost in honour of David of this, but to stand. 
hand, and, and just to imagine you're David back then, I want you to almost feel the dust in your mouth, the bruises on your body from Shimei's stones having hit you, the words still reeling in your mind, you worthless man, you worthless woman coming at you from Shimei, but there's something in you that overcomes all that persecution, that overcomes all that difficulty. The worst of times brings out the best in you. So can, can we all stand if you can? And let's just read this psalm together, just these verses from this psalm. So here, are, it's on the screen, let's read the same translation. So let's say, read it together. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you. And dry and weary land where there is no water. So I have upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food, and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. When I upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night for you have been my help and in the shadow of your wings I will sing for joy my soul clings to you your right hand upholds me okay take your seats you get that see what David's been? what a song written in the worst of times given the circumstances it's hard to find such an outpouring of a man's heart in love to God anywhere else in the Bible. It's beautiful. Here he was, hiding, being persecuted, fleeing, no longer enjoying the freedom of worship that he'd had in the tabernacle of David. But here he is, and he's just pouring out his heart of love for God. I want to put it to you, David was like that because he relished the presence of God when he had the freedom to enjoy it. I want to ask us, do we appreciate the freedom that we have to worship the Lord together today? Do we? There are no religious restrictions upon us in this room. There are no political restrictions upon us. I, I want to put it to us that if we did appreciate our freedom to worship, we'd We'd be here as often as we could on a Sunday afternoon. We'd make it to connect. We'd make it to deeper. We'd, we'd just love to enjoy the freedom that we have. Not everybody enjoys freedom to worship as we do. I remember my own experience of living for several months in a repressive totalitarian regime. It was at that time called the Soviet Union. It was 1979. I was a student studying Russian. And it was in the city of Leningrad called St. Petersburg. And someone invited me to go to a potentially dangerous meeting. It was an underground meeting of the, the Pentecostal church there. And I went, we had to be careful, making sure we weren't followed, and went to this block of flats. And we went into a flat which wasn't very big, but it was crammed with just bricks as the support and planks, wooden planks. And some of them were overlapping. And there were around about 50 people squashed in like sardines into Now, I was unfortunate in, in, in where I sat, where two planks overlapped one another. Uh, and, but just to be there with brothers and sisters in the Lord who were worshipping and in the worst of times, 
not singing out loud, no drums, no, no big music, but just singing their songs at whispering level, praying out at whispering level, having to be careful. And they're just that completely quiet. Wait for maybe one minute, two minutes, three minutes. Then the knock would be there and they'd start again and they'd start to sing these, these whispered songs, these whispered praises, having to be really careful. It went on one hour, two hours, three hours. I was sat at the worst possible seat. It was like I was getting them. Surely you've had long enough. Now, you see, my experience before was being in a Pentecostal church in Birmingham where I played the trombone, where there were drums playing just like Wolf would play. You know, drummers drumming, trombones playing, singers singing through my and, and here I am in this situation and it's whispered and it's quiet and it's been everyone so careful and, and then I suddenly realized these were pouring out these brothers and sisters in the Lord were pouring out in the worst of times something of their love for God oh God you are my God earnestly I seek you my, my soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. For David, it was a literal desert. For them, it was a time of persecution, having to be very, very careful. Worst of situations can bring out the best in people. I want to say today, today, we need to be more aware that there are still brothers and sisters all over the world in our kingdom family in the same persecution of dust being thrown them, of people throwing stones at them, of being persecuted. Uh, we need to wake up more and more, I believe, and start praying for brothers and sisters in places like North Korea, in northern Nigeria, in Afghanistan, in Somalia, Libya, and Eritrea, just to name a few places. Parts of India, North Korea, for example, 300,000 Christians living, estimated, in North Korea. Uh, it's against the for parents, there are parents today who know the Lord who are scared to pass on their faith to their children. It's against the law. They could end up in a labor camp. In Afghanistan, and your own family members could turn you over to the authorities and you'd be charged as apostates and call yourself a Christian in Afghanistan and you risk being put into a, a, a psychiatric hospital. We could carry on describing many of the worst situations our brothers sisters are facing because they love Jesus. In northern Nigeria, there's a, a people group called the Fulani people group. Over 20 million of them in northern Nigeria labelled an Islamic people group. You turn to Jesus in that people group and you're in difficulty. You can be killed by your own people or at best put in prison once people know you're a Christian. There are people from that people group in prison today who are waiting to be Sharia law or are waiting for secular lawyers to give them a more fair trial but some of them have been waiting years and years for a trial. All this is so different to what we've been experiencing this afternoon. People shouting their praise and freedom to clap your hands and lift your hands, freedom to dance if you want to, freedom to sing. What can you do when people are persecuting you? Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly, I seek you. I heard last weekend just of two, this is now stories. In a labor camp, as many Christians are, in a labor camp because they've, they've been as Christians, in a labor camp and 
they apparently were very excited when they were given the job of emptying, of shoveling out the human from the cesspool. Given that job, why were they excited? Why were they pleased to do it? Because they knew that the guards would not stand near them when they did it, and so this gave them a space, a space where they could actually sing their praise to God out loud. Uh, come on, lovers of God. People who love his presence. To worship in the good times, David did. I, I want to challenge us and say, you know, let's never take for granted the privilege that we have to gather together and the freedom that we have to shout, to play drums, to play guitars and to sing and to worship. Let's enjoy that. We have no idea how long freedom will last for. We can never take it for granted. That sort of freedom. What freedom we can be sure of is that we can always express. You see, I want us to understand that worship is far more than something we do on a Sunday afternoon. Where you're alone, it's not something you do, it's something you are. Loved lovers, not something I do, something I am. Life, the worst of situations can bring out the best in people. Life isn't always easy. When I lived in Congo, I was given at one point in the 1980s it was, but I was given this old story, but I was given a Toyota Land Cruiser. And it had a, a winch on the front and that supported me with giving money a carpentry school for boys and a sewing school for girls. Yes, it was very sexist. But I, I, I loaded the Toyota with sewing machines, with carpentry tools, drove it down to Southampton, put it on a boat, and, and travelled to Matadi, the port there. I had to wait for in the boat coming with the Toyota Land Cruiser. And um, while I was waiting, I used to go to the port because I had nothing else to do, go down to the port and watch what happened uh, when a b boat came in. And when a boat came in, you'd always end up with, you know, 60, 70 children waving and shouting, the sailors waving back. It was like this sort of festival when a boat came in. And people got vehicles, would often be there, waiting, and they'd climb down the port, go, uh, you know, and children would be waving at cheering, and they'd go and get their uh, car out, see, speak to the captain of the boat, and then come out. And I knew my day would come when the boat would come in. And I was waiting, waiting, waiting. I thought, this is fantastic. Winch on the front of a car, fantastic. Cost 900 pounds, that winch. There's sewing machines, there's carpentry tools. It's going to be a glorious day when the boat comes in. And after waiting and waiting, nothing happened. Finally, after two weeks, I heard that the boat was coming in that day. I thought, fantastic, this is... I had had a... Um, this is before I met Philippa. I'd had a girlfriend in Puerto Rico who had gone and visited. And she'd bought me a wonderful shirt, a, a Christian Dior shirt. Christian Dior. Uh, it was on there. I don't think it was a fake one. But it was a Christian Dior shirt. I, and I'd never worn it. I'd sacked the girl, but I'd kept the shirt. Uh, and I thought, you know, when the boat comes in, I, I, I'd got it in mind. I had never worn this shirt before. I thought, I'm going to put on the best Christian Dior shirt. Uh, and the boat came I put on my best Christian Dior shirt. The boat came in. There was around about 50, 60 children waving, shouting. Uh, and I thought, this is it. It's me, my big moment. 
I started climbing down the wall, steps on the wall of the port to get onto the deck of the ship. Children waving at me. I thought, I'm the star attraction here, Christian Dior shirt. I hope everybody's noticing this. If you even know what a Christian Dior shirt is, you should by now. Come on, guys. Uh, and, and I'm walking onto the deck of this ship. And the deck is got sort of like a layer of sort of, I don't know where it had come from, from different ports and whatever, but sort of greasy, slimy wetness. Um, uh, I go on the ship and there's the, the captain of the ship. I got my piece of paper to say I'd come to get my, my, my car. As I'm walking along, the next bit happens genuinely in slow motion. It, so it, it did happen in slow motion, I tell you. I slip, my feet go, and I'm thinking I'm going to fall. And I did in slow motion. It was like the best of films. I fall in slow motion and I start slide. And I'm just looking because there's a railing at the side and I'm heading not port side, seaside, and I'm thinking, I'm going to slide along. I'm sliding along, and there's this one sailor who, with no dignity at all, just puts his foot on my back, on the back of the Christian Dior shirt, uh, 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 to stop me sliding out. I get up, there's all grease and slime on the front of my hands. Christian Dior shirt is ruined. The back has probably foot mark on it. Children now, it wasn't 50 or 60, it must have been at least a thousand children and they're just laughing their heads off that, that, that there's racist abuse coming. I'm being racially abused by these Congolese children. Uh, they're just laughing and shouting because they think it's hilarious. It's the best entertainment they've had for ages. I go to the captain, I give him the greasy bit of paper that is now. He looks at it and he, then his face drops when he sees the registration number of the car. He takes me through... Look at the car, it's got a dent in the side, the winch has gone, the windows are smashed, the tools have gone, and he tells me, I'm really sorry, but we stopped at some other port on the way and we had to get your car off and leave it on the port side for a night while we loaded some. I don't know if you're telling me the truth or what. All I knew was that I was, was, was dirty, I was deflated, just writing a few lines of what's happening, what's going on in my life. And I just wrote that night, I, I, in the worst of times, this is what I wrote. I wrote this, I, know, I wrote, and I put this, but this I know that God is for me. This I know God loves me. This I know I love God. This I know I'm called according to his purpose and he will cause even this to work out for my good. As I wrote that, and it's only ever happened twice in my life, I heard angels sing. There was something of a, an understanding that I still love you, Lord. I still love you, that I am a lover of God in the worst of situations. But I could still believe, as long with David in his situation, that your steadfast love is better than life. I want to ask you today, I want to say to you that maybe, maybe your Land Cruiser has got trashed. Or maybe, you know, come on, let's be honest, there's far worse things that can happen to you than that. I know that. Maybe... It's your wife is told she's got cancer. Maybe someone tells you a loved one has died. Or, uh, and, and you're in a dry and weary land right now. But are you a lover of God? Because a lover of God can still say, Oh God, you are my God. 
Earnestly I seek you. I love you. In a dry and weary land where there is no water, my, my soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you. In this dry and weary land where there, I'm still a lover of God. It's not something I do on a Sunday afternoon. It's not what I do. It's who I am. That's why I have this wonderful friendship with you, Lord, because it's not dependent upon the circumstances being all rosy. I'm a lover of God. It's what as a worshipper of you. It's not what I do, it's who I am. God is looking, the Father, Jesus said in John 4, is not looking for worshippers. He's, he's not looking for worship, he's looking for worshippers. People who say, I'm giving my life, I'm giving my life to this, I'm committing myself. Today, right now, every one of us have and powers in heavenly realms before angelic that witness, I believe, what before one another, before ourselves, even. We're just like David. It seems as though we're in a really bad situation. Uh, and some of us in situations where we think, well, actually, life couldn't be any better at the moment. And most of us are in between those two extremes. But wherever we are, I'm asking you, do you want to actually give yourself again? Maybe for the first time, maybe it's the umpteenth time, but to give yourself to be a worshipper of God. So, Antonio, are you going to come out, the worship team? We're going to sing a song together that I'm a lover of your presence. I, I, and let me be a sacrifice. You. And... and I just want to appeal to you to do something that makes this far more than just the singing of a song, but physically you move and, and, and you move into the aisle, you come and stand at the front or whatever, but just you move out of your seat. There's plenty of space at the side or in the middle, but you just move out of your seat, just move away. You haven't got to come all the way to the front, but just move out and, and you say, Lord, I'm, I'm laying down my life. I'm dedicating my life. Let the aisles this afternoon, let the aisles here in Swinton, let them be uh, and all that I of your presence, I'm dedicating my life to you. Amen. So if we can just sing that, and, and, let, and I just want to pray for for us all as we did. So I appeal to you. Just, just don't stay once or twice, and let, let's just be ready to just edit our lives again for God. Hmm.